y'all look better than I look to you. The reason why y'all look so much better is because I can't see you. There's lights in front of me. There's always something that, that uh, when someone stands up and they stand in front of a group of folks that is a little bit different than it is when you're sitting looking at someone who's in front of everyone. But there is one thing that I know for sure, that this exercise never fails any of the times that I've ever seen it done. So in order to uh, amuse me a little bit, I need you to cooperate just a little bit as we do this little exercise. It's a hard exercise. It's gonna involve you making about three movements. Are you ready? All three of you, thank you for that. I need everybody to hold up the number two. That's the first movement. The second movement, I need you to turn it around and I need you to bring it in. And for the third movement, push up. Now everybody's smiling now. We are good to go. Today, God has allowed us and God has given us the text that we're gonna be dealing with today is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a very unique text. It's a very unique psalm. It is a very sobering psalm. It is very sobering in the fact that it deals with a word that many of us don't like to use today, but it is necessary for us to use today, and it's the word repentance. The word repentance. In our vernacular, in our vernacular, in our terminology, many times we avoid the words that cause us some discomfort. And repentance is one of the ones that causes us discomfort. Because in order for us to fully define repentance, we must understand exactly what we're repenting from and what we're repenting back to. Because repent is simply means to turn. It just means to turn. Turn from what? And turn to what? The Bible talks about repentance over and over and over again. About how repentance is very necessary in the life of a believer. And this psalm is a psalm of repentance that is written by someone who has faith in God. Let me give you the backstory to Psalm 51. As if you have your Bibles, you may have a subtitle under it. It says Psalm 51. For the choir director, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba, after he had had an affair and committed adultery with this person named Bathsheba. And this is a psalm. How would you like for all of your life's not-so-hot moments to be compiled into a psalm that the people would sing out loud over and over again? Because this was the hymn book of the Israelites. And they would sing these psalms. They would read these psalms aloud. And here is a psalm in which they would read aloud and probably put to music and would sing aloud. And it's a song of repentance, but it's, a, it's about a time in a, uh, one of their king's lives, King David. And King David was known as a man after God's own heart. There's nobody else like him in the Old Testament that God said had a heart like his more than King David did. 
So let me give you the backdrop to this story. And this is found in 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12. And the Bible says this. In the springtime, when kings go out to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. And one evening, the Bible says that he just got off his bed. Evidently, he couldn't sleep. And he walked to the edge of his palace, and he walked on the roof of his palace, and he was just walking around, looking around to see what he could see from his palace. Because the palace was probably in the center of everything. And it's probably one of those views that was just a marvelous undersight to take. And he had a chance as king to walk out on the edge of the palace and overlook all of Jerusalem. The Bible says that he saw a woman taking a bath. He had a chance to walk away, but he didn't. The Bible says, then he sent messengers to find out who that was. There again, God gave him another chance to walk away, and he didn't. And then the Bible says, not only did he send messengers to find out who she was, he also sent other messengers to go get her. And he had a chance to walk away. And the Bible says that those messengers brought her to him, and he slept with her. At any point, he could have chosen to change paths, change plans, walked away, but he didn't. And this would be a defining moment in his life. It would be the one mark. Matter of fact, in 1 Kings chapter 15, the Bible would say of King David that King David followed God in everything except in the matter of your wife's wife. So this is the mark that he's going to be known for as the, the mark against his life. So what did he do? He had to cover it up. So he sent orders to the commander of the Israelite army, whose name's Joab, to, to send Uriah back home. Because remember, all the Israelites were in war. And he was back in Jerusalem. So Uriah comes in. And David says, tell me how the war is going. Like he didn't already know. Tell me how the troops are doing like he didn't already know. Tell me how the battle lines are like he didn't already know. So what happened is, is Uriah, since he's in Jerusalem, David said, hey, now that you're here, take it easy, go home. But the Bible says that Uriah didn't go home. He stopped at his, uh, the servants' quarters outside the palace, and he slept there. And word got back to David. He said, why didn't you go home? Basically, what he was wanting him to do was to go home and stay with his wife in order to cover up his affair. And the Bible says that Uriah didn't. And he looked at David and he said, the ark is in a tent. The king's soldiers and the king's army is out in the field fighting a battle. How can I go home and do something when they're out there? Matter of fact, uh, in 1 Samuel 21, David was fleeing from Saul. And somebody said, hey, you can't do this. And he said, in his own words, he said, women are being kept from us as always when we go out to battle. So it was a tradition. It was one of the habits of the army. And David knew that. So when word got back to him, he, he told Uriah, hey, come and stay in Jerusalem for another couple of days. So he brought Uriah back to the palace. 
He wined him and dined him, got him drunk, and hopefully, hopefully he was thinking that if he could just stagger into his house, everything would be made right. And he stopped again at the same servant's quarters and spent the night. So two times David has tried to, to cover up his affair, and he's failed. So now he comes up and he says, okay, well, I've got one option left. He wrote a letter to Joab. He said, Joab, I want you to take Uriah. I want you to put him at the very tip of the hottest part of the battle. I want you to put him at the very forefront. And when just it gets intensified enough, I want you to take the entire army and pull back and let him die. Do you know who carried that letter back to Joab? Uriah. Uriah carried his own. He was dead man walking all the way back to that battle. The Bible says Uriah was killed. Word came back to David. Bathsheba mourned. Then the Bible says in 1 Samuel eleven twenty seven that David married her and bore, her a son, bore him a son. In that same verse, the Bible says, however, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. In the very next verse, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, so the Lord sent Nathan to David. So here comes the prophet Nathan. He marches into the palace, and he tells him a story. He said, King David, there's two men. One's rich, and one's poor. One has very large herds and flocks. One's very wealthy, and one has one little small little lamb. This small little lamb, is this poor, this poor shepherd has taken this small little lamb. That's all he's got. He's raised it as one of his own. He's raised it with his children. It, it stays with them. It eats off their table. It is like a family to them. And the Bible says a, one of the rich man's friends came into town. And instead of going to his herd to get one of his sheep that he had plenty of, he decided to go take this one man's lamb and serve it as a meal. And at that moment, remember that David was a shepherd king. God called him for being shepherding sheep to shepherding a nation. So at that one moment, God hit a nerve in David, and David stood up, and the Bible says he was infuriated, and he says, that man deserves death. And a man standing there, that prophet Nathan, in the boldness of God, looked straight at the king and said, David, you are that man. God told Nathan, to say this. You're the man. But not only are you the man, I've given you, I took you from the pasture and put you in a palace. And if that wasn't enough, I'd give you more lands and, and bigger territories and more riches. But you have chose to do this evil in my sight. And because you've done that, the sword will not leave your house for the rest of your days. But something very interesting happens. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David replied, I have sinned against the Lord. And in that same verse, Nathan replied, and the Lord has taken away your sin. Can I tell you the foolishness of the cross real quick before we get to Psalm 51? The foolishness of the cross is that a murderer, an adulterer, a thief, a, a drug dealer, Anybody can come to the cross of Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness. Anyone. 
Let me ask you the question. Is anybody in here today perfect? Because you're not perfect, we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. We can't make it without a Savior. And God has provided a Savior. God has provided Jesus Christ. Because you see, I can tell you empty philosophies. I can, I can give you 23 points about what today is. I can stay here for four hours. But if we don't make much of Jesus, we have nothing. We are a social organization that has no power. If we're not going to be about the things of Jesus, if we're not going to be about making much of him, then we have nothing. I'm nothing. And our preaching is in vain, and it's uselessness, and the world is right. It is foolishness. But let me tell you, there is a Savior, there is a God, and he has revealed his word to us, and that we can have trusting, faithful uh, assurance that what God says, God will do. Now, I'm not a big amen folk, but I'm going to tell you something. If you don't amen, I'm going to turn around and preach that wall. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. Now you're with me. And we'll take up another offering at the end see how we did. Psalm 51. Now that brings us to Psalm 51. Listen to what David says. This is when Nathan told him that, David, you are that man. Because, see, when we read the Bible, we think that everything happens in a day or two. But I just read that, that all of this happened. David had an affair with Bathsheba. Bathsheba bore him a son. That takes at least nine months. This was at least nine months to a year in the making that David was doing all of this. He went from adultery to lying to deceiving to murder. David was a murderer. He had Uriah killed. This is a man after God's own heart? Brothers and sisters, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God has forgiven all of your sin, past, present, and future. He's forgiven everything. But what's so amazing, and we see that because Nathan says the Lord has forgiven your sin. He's taken away your iniquity. But here's the thing. The more that we want to grow in holiness, the more that sin will bug us. The, the more that you follow after Jesus, the more that you can't live with sin. And I want to tell you, sin is not a mistake. Sin is a purpose-breaking God's law. That's what it is. Sin is purposely going against what God said. Sin is not ever unintentional. Sin is always intentional. And remember what the Bible says, that we are all sinners. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Even me on my best day, my best stuff, Isaiah says, is as filthy rags before a holy God. So listen to what David said. Listen to the cry of his heart. This is someone who has faith and that has been absolutely devastated because he broke fellowship with God. Listen to this. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned 
and done this evil in your sight so that you are right when you pass sentence. You're right when you judge. You're blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed. That is the murder of Uriah, God. God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want sacrifice or I'd give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The pleasing sacrifice to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. David's cry out to God has to do with the grace of God. The Bible says in verse 1, be gracious to me, God, because you see, that's what, that's what David's appealing to. David is appealing to God's grace. And I want to tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we need God's grace every day. We need it every moment. And this grace is based according to God's faithful love, his covenant love. God's made a covenant with us. And that covenant is through the cross of Jesus Christ in the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. He's made a covenant with us. He's bought us with a price. And the Bible says that we're not our own. If we've come into relationship with Jesus Christ, at the moment that we come into that relationship, the Bible says that we have raised the white flag of our life and we have surrendered our life to Jesus. The problem is, is so many times we want to take the white flag down and raise a different flag because surrender is hard. Do you know why it's hard? It's impossible to do without God's grace. The world is looking for someone who's different. The world is looking for someone whose God is real. And we have the real God. We have real redemption. We have real grace. And we have a real message. And that message is seen with no power because God's people have been distracted. Because all of a sudden, Jesus went from being the throne room, in the very throne room of our own heart, to all of a sudden, we want to get back on the throne, and we want to make decisions about our life that are contrary to God's word. And there's no power in that. But God's gracious. God chases us down and gives us a chance to turn from those sins and walk in right relationship with him. And then we will have the power for obedience. We will have the power to do what God's called us to do in our life because you're called. You're called. If you've been redeemed, you're called. You're called to somewhere and you're called to somebody. You're called. And if you're not chasing that call, Maybe there's something in your life that's keeping you. Said, Lord, I'm willing to go as far as X. Sorry, I got into a little bit of meddling there. It's the Southern Baptist in me, forgive me. 
But he said, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love and according to your abundant compassion. God's grace is with faithful love and abundant compassion. If he didn't convict you of sin, he would not love you. But because he loves you, he can't leave you how you are. He's going to make you into the image of his son, Jesus. That's the ultimate goal, is to be made into the image of Jesus. For the unbeliever, the unbeliever, we were all unbelievers at one time. And there even may be some unbelievers in here today. But for an unbeliever, your greatest need is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I remember I was raised in, a, I was raised in church. I was, ra- I was on the roll nine months before I was ever born. Baby Baker. I was raised in church. I was, the only drug that I had in my life was my mom and dad drugged me. They drugged me to church on Wednesdays and Sundays and Sunday nights. I would fall asleep on the front row and the laser beams of my mom on the back row would wake me up. I would cause havoc during church. I was raised in church. I knew the things. I knew the stories. But there was something that was wrong. Because you see, I could be a very religious person and not have any relationship with God whatsoever. You can be a very religious person and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Never let religion take the place of relationship. But what does it mean? What am I talking about? There was a day in my life to where I had, I had made so many decisions for God, I was so confused. And God took me out of everything I knew, put me in the middle of nowhere East Central Mississippi. Any of you ever heard of a place called Nanawaya? One person. And that was by accident, probably. There's nothing there. And God had to take me away from everything that I knew and showed me that he loved me and that he had a plan for my life. But I was lost in my sin. And sin means to miss the mark. And there's no way that a holy, perfect God could accept a broken, sinful man. And there's nothing that I could do to bridge that gap. But God provided the bridge, Jesus and when he came and bled on the cross and he, he gave his ultimate life, he gave his life for me. And the moment that I trusted in that and I placed my faith in him, God forgave me of all of my sin and brought me into a right relationship. And I want to tell you, I've never been the same. But I, can I also tell you, I haven't been perfect since that time either. I've sinned since I've been saved. We all sin. The Bible says it's according to what we do with that sin. Because God, because we are in faith in Jesus Christ and we're covered in his blood, he chases after us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And it's always pointing us back to Jesus. And he's always bringing conviction of our sin. And he's always leading us to that point of that word repentance. He wants us to repent. He wants us to be in a right relationship. He wants us to have power in our life. He wants us to be focused. He wants us to be obedient. God wants us to look like Jesus to a lost and dying world. And to a lost and dying world, they look at the cross And everything that I'm talking about now, the Bible says some people see that as foolishness. It is the foolishness of those things. 
How could a God send his son to die on a cross for somebody's sin, be put in a grave, and three days later resurrect and be alive again? That's foolishness. But the Bible says to those who trust in that, God's foolishness, God changes their life. God brings them from the the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. God changes their life. He forgives their sin, gives them a new heart, gives them a new life, gives them new and fresh life. And remember, brothers and sisters, we were all lost at one time. Never forget what it's like to be on the other side of salvation. If we ever forget what it's like, then we will never walk in obedience with God. I'm glad Frank told me that y'all get out at three. (laughs) But listen to this. This is what David's crying out, the cry of his heart. Completely wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin, from my conscience of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. See, a believer takes ownership in his sin. Someone who has a heart for God, who has faith in Christ, will take ownership for their sin. You can't make me sin. The enemy can't make me sin. The government can't make me sin. I choose to willfully sin against God. I choose to sin. My wife doesn't make me. My kids don't make me. My circumstances doesn't make me. Nothing makes me sin. Sin is a personal choice. And only the believer with the Holy Spirit living in them has the power to say no to sin. Listen to this. Because verse 4 says this. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. Sin is against God. I may hurt you. I may do you wrong in some dealings. I may come across your cross, but my sin is not against you. My sin is always against God. Your sin is never against anybody else. Your sin is always against God. That's the reason why the Bible says that you alone have I sinned against. As a believer in Jesus Christ, your sin is against a holy God. And God in his holiness cannot be around sin. He cannot allow sin into his presence. That's the reason that when Jesus forgave sin, past, present, and future, we are clean. We are clean, but we need daily cleaning also. We are clean. We want to be in right fellowship with him. Listen to these words that he says in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. He gives this attitude of his heart. He says, purify me. With hyssop and I'll be clean. Hyssop was that little twig that grew out of the side of the wall that on the, on the day of atonement when the high priest would enter into where the Ark of the Covenant is and offer the sins for all the people, he would dip the hyssop in, in the blood and sprinkle the blood and thereby purify the Ark. He's given that terminology, purify me. He says, wash me whiter than snow. Isaiah would pick up on this later, and it says, hey, come come to the river. Come. You who are thirsty, come. Wash your clothes. Be clean. Though your sins are as crimson, they'll be white as snow. He says, create in me a clean heart, 
Renew in me a steadfast spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you want to have joy? Let God do an examination of your heart. Let him be absolutely have full reign in your heart and allow him through his gracious, faithful love and abundant compassion do what he does best. Make you into his image. Because you see, the more that you follow after Jesus, holiness always magnifies unholiness. Have you ever wondered... Have you ever wondered if I'll ever get through that sentence? If, have you ever wondered? Have you ever asked yourself the question, how could God love someone like me? How could God forgive someone like me? I have a bad habit of being as transparent as I know to be. I don't want to come up here today and act like somebody I'm not. I'm not a five-star preacher. I'm a half-star preacher. I've only got one message, and it's the only one before me. I'm not creative enough. I don't have enough talent to craft a sermon. I don't. But there's one thing that I do know. I do know that there are times in my life I felt unlovable. I feel like God can forgive anybody except me. I feel that whatever somebody else has done, God can take care of, but my sins are egregious. My sins, God can't touch my sins. God can't forgive my sin. He can forgive everybody else's sin. And then there are times in my life I'm like, God, why? Why does everybody look like they get to live their life the way they want to, but the moment that I want to go do that, you bring conviction upon my life? God, I don't understand. I don't understand. There are times that I, I get alone with God, and I scream at God. I'm glad he doesn't scream back. There are times that I don't understand, God. And God, I've been following you for 20-something years. I don't understand and there are times that I really believe that what God says in his word, I'll never get to see in my life. I'll never get to see that power, that joy. But then here's the whole great thing about it. I realized something, exactly what Paul said. Paul said that as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have two natures. You have the redeemed nature and then you have this fleshly nature. And they're always at war with one another. So that what you want to do, you don't do. And what you don't want to do is what you catch yourself doing. And Paul said there's a battle on the inside. And the only way that we can win that battle on the inside and put our flesh to death is by daily surrendering and making sure that we're in a right relationship with God. So that means we have to daily confess our sins to God. And the Bible says that God is just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's a just, loving, compassionate God. But the Bible also says this. If you choose sin over God, you won't have any power in your spiritual life. 
You can't obey God. You won't be a witness for God. And all the things that you see happen in the Bible won't happen because you're powerless. We've all been there. And I want to tell you, the older I get, the more I don't want to be there. I want to chase after Jesus. He's the only person in, in my life that can forgive my sin. He's the only one. Because you see, there's something that is really cool about God's grace. It's very amazing, is it not? If I were to ask you what is the one hymn of the church that the church is known for, it would be Amazing Grace. But have you ever thought about the words to Amazing Grace? Logan, you ready, man? Have you ever thought about the words to Amazing Grace? Can somebody tell me who wrote Amazing Grace? Who wrote the words? John Newton. He was, his mom died when he was a young age. And uh, he had to go with his dad. His dad was uh, like a captain of a merchant ship. And as he was out to sea, sooner or later, he got drafted into the British Royal Navy. And he went rogue, so to speak. So he got demoted. He became the captain of a slave ship. But the gospel radically changed his life. And he wrote the words to what we know as amazing grace. But one of the things that happened at, at the end of his life, about age 82, he shouted out one time, somebody asked him a question, and he answered this. He said, what have you learned in your life? And he says, there's only two things that I know. I'm a great sinner, and God's grace is great. I've asked Logan to sing this song, and this is going to be our time of response. Here's the time of response. You can listen, you can pray, you can bow your head, you can keep your eyes open. But I believe one thing. I'm, I'm silly enough to believe that God is true about his word. And if we put Jesus in the center, he will draw all men to himself. And I believe that God's drawing folks wherever you're at in your life. Some of you may be a believer. Some of you may not be a believer. But wherever you're at, God's drawing you. God's drawing you. I want to give you the freedom to respond. And here's how you respond. If you know that God has showed you today that you desperately need a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we leave this place, Joe will be standing out front. You grab Joe. You don't pass him. Grab him. Don't be embarrassed. And if you're like me, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and God showed you some stuff in your life that is not right, that he considers sin, would you take this time so that when you walk out those doors, God's created a clean heart in you. He's restored the joy of following him. And now you can obey. And now those people that he brings into your life, you can share the good news of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed or stay open, however you need to do it. But I'm going to pray, and he's going to lead that song. You can sing it if you want to, or you can sit there and listen to the words. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you do what you do best? Would you draw us closer to yourself? Father, during this time, would you allow the Holy Spirit the freedom 
to walk up and down the aisle, in and out of hearts, in and out of lives. God, I don't know every heart here. Nobody knows my heart. But I know that you know the thoughts of every man, woman, boy, and girl who's here today, Lord. And there's nothing that you can't handle. And Father, I ask you during this time, would you bring encouragement? God, would you bring conviction if conviction is needed? God, would you bring mercy and grace and, and just wrap people in your loving arms and draw them close to your heart through Jesus today? And we ask this in his name. Father, God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your amazing grace and the promise of redemption, Lord, and ultimately sanctification has become more like you every single day, Jesus. Lord of God, I pray for, uh, for those of us who have made, Lord, have taken the time to not spend time in your word and not spend time to grow a relationship with you, Jesus. Lord God, I pray you would just speak to our hearts, Lord. As you speak to our hearts, Lord, would you listen to our hearts as we praise your name, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do. In Jesus' name.